as, as, uh, as Gay introduced uh, me, my name is John Dix, and uh, I've been leading our uh, personal finance ministry here at Salem Fields for about the last eight or so years. The first kind of bit of, uh, of bad and good news, there's a lot of sort of bad and, and, and good news in this message. Um, the first bit of bad news is, yes, this is the money topic. The good news is I have looked at the 10-day weather forecast, and I do not see the word snow uh, in it. I... I see some. Uh, I see some 50s, and I see. Uh, I think I even saw a couple days in there that have a, a 60 or or in it. Um, and you know, it's funny as I was putting together this message over the past couple weeks, I never got so much hope out of a guy trudging through a muddy road through slightly growing corn when it was like 12 or 13 degrees outside. So that picture provided me a lot of hope. I don't know what's up with this weather, but but perhaps we're we're turning a corner. Um, you know, all joking aside, this, this message is, is very frustrating, it's very daunting. As Gay alluded to, um, yes, I do consider myself a counselor in the area of personal finance. And as she alluded to, we counselors have a tendency to counsel in areas we've struggled with and in many areas we continue to struggle with. This is the way I am wired. I have always sort of thought about money. Um, I have certainly always struggled with money. Um, it's just sort of who I am, and, and, and in fact, my, my witness, my story sort of comes from, from this area. Um, but I want to be very clear and transparent about something. I'm not speaking at you today. This is not sort of things I figured out, and you all need to sort of get in line and figure out um, quickly. These are still observations from my 20 or so years of counseling in this area that are really coming from sort of my inner being. Um, they're observations that, I, yes, I have struggled with and in many, and in a few cases, continue to struggle with. So with that, hopefully these observations can kind of get you thinking, can challenge you, and perhaps ultimately change the way you, you, uh, you handle your money in 15 and beyond. Okay, let's get rolling. The first observation is that money is neutral. Acknowledge it. Is this like a tool to get what you need? Comfortability? Uh, safety, <laughs> that's pretty much it. And pleasure at times. Comfort, um, uh, stability. Uh, it also means a big headache and a big hassle. Just a way for me to survive and do the things I like. For realize my, my dreams. A method for me to obtain the things that I want. Freedom. Money means the ability to do what I want. Quite a bit, actually, I think money's pretty important to have. For me, it's just what I use to buy stuff. If I didn't need it, I wouldn't even deal with it. Hmm. You know, if we're being real with each other, and um, I've got three daughters underneath the age of seven and, and a wife, um, so that's, that's four on one. Um, the, the dogs are somewhere in the middle. They've been taken care of. I'm not quite sure what they count as. But in my household, I've gotten sort of very familiar with the concept of getting really real really fast in, in my life. And if I'm being real with you and we're being real with each other, um, we'd have to admit that our life experiences have sort of tainted or affected the way we think about money. You know, perhaps you grew up poor and you always said, when I make it someday, right, I'm going to show the world, I'm going to show the people around me that I've made it. And so money to you today sort of uh, translates to kind of this validation concept, right? It allows you to buy things to show people that, yeah, I have arrived, I'm no longer poor, and I've made it. Perhaps conversely, you grew up quite well off, or perhaps for a period of time in a different economy, you were doing quite well. Um, and perhaps you lost a lot of that, and, and perhaps you think, you know, money at the end of the day sort of lets you down, right? 
or perhaps it was a pressure cooker, right, that, that you knew ultimately you couldn't sustain that, that standard of living and, 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 and money coming in sort of had to supply a lifestyle that, that you knew in your heart you couldn't sustain for a long period of time. Perhaps uh, your parents divorced because of money, or perhaps even closer to home, you divorced because of money fighting, or even closer to home still, perhaps right now today, you are going through a relationship breakup because of money. And so money to you is divisive, right? You don't even want to hear it. In fact, the second you saw the brochure and I started running my mouth, you thought, when is this guy going to shut up? Because money is just sort of centered around pain. It's centered around fighting. You just don't want to even hear that word. I'll tell you where my prejudice or sort of thoughts about money came from. Um, I remember my dad uh, was suspiciously home early one day in the fourth grade. We grew up in a suburb of New York City, an awesome little town. I'd basically spent my whole life there. Um, we knew everybody, everybody knew us. It was just awesome. And my dad was home early and he called a family meeting and he said, guess what, I lost my job today. Okay, and so as a fourth grader, I thought, okay, cool, does this mean we're like moving to the other side of town? He said, no, we're actually moving out of this town. That I know, right, that's sort of the job I have, but um, I have no idea where we're going to go, right? Fast forward a year later, we go across the country to Reno, Nevada. We pack into the Volvo 240 DL. That's probably another message another day. Um, and uh, he's home one year later, once again, suspiciously early from work again, calls a family meeting and says, guess what? I'm out of a job again. And uh, as a fourth and fifth grader, when sort of you're really kind of putting together the wires of your life and your thoughts, uh, you, you pretty much define some things really fast. And so for me, money is synonymous with kind of a, a safety net, right, that, that kind, of, um, kind of brings out the hard edges of life and solves a lot of the problems in, in our life. I'm not necessarily proud of that. I don't think that's necessarily the best viewpoint or prejudice for me to have, but if I'm being entirely transparent with you, that is sort of the first place my mind goes if I had been interviewed on that screen. And by the way, it's kind of funny that the kids kind of, their eyes sear into the guy asking the questions. I just thought that's funny. Maybe it's just because I have kids. But that's where my mind goes when I, when I think of money. And so the good news is that it's very natural to feel a certain way about money. And usually the way we feel about money comes from life events, and usually they're traumatic events. And that's sort of very natural. I think that's a very sort of good news, natural thing. The bad news or challenge I'll leave you with today is that the Bible is very clear. The Bible does not say money is good, and the Bible does not say that money is bad. What the Bible does say is that our use of or our bias towards or our thoughts about or our idolatry of or love of money can either be both good or bad. I could spend the rest of the time here on stage and tell you passages and parables of, of use of money, thoughts towards money that are very deemed very positive in the word of God and also many that are deemed very negative, right? But you will find nowhere in the Bible that says that money itself is good or evil. So with respect to this observation, a couple thoughts I'll leave you with. First, money is not good or evil. Secondly, we are the ones that define it, and we usually define it on life events, and those life events are usually traumatic in nature. And finally, if we're going to change the way we handle and manage our money, chances are the first place we're going to have to start is to address the way we think about money. Okay, second observation, money is finite, manage it. 
You know, the Bible speaks of God's possessions, and I don't call it money, but uh, God's stuff in infinite terms, right? It talks about a cattle on a thousand fields. It says, the Bible says that all the gold and silver is God's. At last check, he was a pretty rich guy. He was, he was doing pretty good, right? Um, unfortunately, you and I don't live in an infinite world when it comes to money. We live in the finite, right? And with respect to money, for whatever reason, you and I don't, don't think about it that way. Um, I sort of deal in a world of M&Ms right now. I literally mean the candy M&Ms, right, given sort of my stage of life. Um, if I were to take my three daughters at home and, and sort of pour out from the heavens, right, above them, a bag of M&Ms onto the floor, an infinite, seemingly infinite number of M&Ms to the floor, you would see like haphazard management. I mean, you would see M&Ms flying, some in the mouth, some over the shoulder. It would be chaos in my kitchen. Yet, if I were to take three bowls, one for each of my daughters, and pour out a set of M&Ms, right? Regardless of the number, whether there was five in each bowl, 15 in each bowl, 50 in each bowl, or 100 in each bowl, you would see them manage those M&Ms, right? They would take one out of the bowl at each time and kind of stare at, at their sisters and say, you know, stay away from my bowl. They'd also look at the dogs and say, stay away from our M&Ms. But we are naturally wired as humans when dealing with the finite, that we manage stuff. And yet you and I, for whatever reason, have a tendency not to view the money that comes into us as finite. Here's, I'll let you in on a, a dirty little secret. In our lifetime, we will only earn a certain amount of money. Okay, there was an old ING commercial, remember anyone see it, where the guy's carrying around like that orange number? Now in that case, that's the, you know, how much money do I need in retirement to be comfortable? That's another topic, another day. But you basically have a number. Right, the amount of money you're going to earn in your lifetime, it's finite. So, with respect to how to manage our money, um, and because I've had the experience of both managing or, uh, or dealing with financial counseling um, in both a secular and, uh, and a church environment, there's, there's a couple different perspectives. I'll cover the spiritual first. How many folks here today would admit that or, or say it's true that the money they make in their paycheck is sort of tied to or based on a set of skills that, that maybe God gave them, right? Okay, great. Okay, good number of you. That's good we're in a church. Um, I'm going to bring you down a slippery slope. You probably should have never raised your hand because hold on, you know, buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. Um, and if you're a believer, and hopefully you buy into Psalms 139.13, which reads, For God created my inmost being. God knit me together in my mother's womb. Then by transitive property, you have a problem. Okay, and once again, transitive property, if you're not sort of in maybe freshman year, I can't remember what grade they teach transitive property these days. And transitive property is that whole A is to B, B is to C, and therefore A is to C. If you are getting paid for a set of skills, if you acknowledge that, that paycheck comes from a set of skills, and you buy into Psalms 139.13, which said, God gave you those skills, whoops, right? You are now saying that you are getting paid, or the money you earn is in fact a gift from God or is from God, right? Okay, fine. The money's now mine. It came from God. I'll, I'll sort of chew on that a little bit on the ride home. That seemed, that seemed like some fuzzy math. I, I, I get it. Now let's talk about management. So if the money's mine, what do I do with it? Well, the, the biblical concept uh, for money management and, and really possession, worldly management of stuff is stewardship. Um, how many folks kind of know the genesis of the term? You do. Okay. He's like five years old. That's awesome. Um, we're going to have to give him 
Let him do the message next time. That's like, yeah, good for him. Five-year-old knows the concept of stewardship. The term stewardship actually comes from the old sort of king, kingdom, steward concept. And the king would give um, the money of his kingdom, the finances of his kingdom to a steward, right? That was a title, that was a role in the kingdom. And it was the steward's job to manage the kingdom's money. Now, there was a catch. The king would sort of call to order or call an account of the steward at a periodic piece of time to find out what the steward did with his money. Okay? So the Bible uses the concept of stewardship because in our real-life analogy, our real-life metaphor, the king is God. We are the steward. God gave us this stuff, right? You already bought into that through the slippery slope of transitive property, which, which we just talked about. And we are going to have to give an account to the king, in our case, God, what we did with that money, right? So we'll summarize. Um, the stuff we earn comes from God, and God ultimately is going to ask for an account of what we did with that stuff. So if that's all true, it seems to me we probably want to do a pretty good job of managing our money. Now let's cover the secular perspective. So if you're a believer... You can kind of tune me out for 30 seconds. Actually, you can't. There's a catch. Unfortunately, these numbers apply to you as well. And the number I'll give you is about 90%. 90% of folks I've met with in, in sort of a secular setting, and unfortunately, it also applies in a church setting, um, generally have the same thesis problem here, which is this. Um, I don't make enough money. Um, I'm broke. Uh, yet, I have absolutely no idea where my money's going. Right? So I don't make enough money. I'm broke. I'm in a bad way and yet I don't know where my money's going. It's like one of my friends asking me the other day, he said, John, I want to sit down with you and I want to come up with a really big financial plan. I said, sounds great, let's do it. He goes, but, but I don't want to do one of those budget things. <laughs> okay, you know, I, I, I don't need myself or you to sort of talk about kind of where my money is going. We, we need to sort of get above and beyond that and really have a big plan that talks about the big things. I, so we ended up never really meeting. I'll like, probably put some thoughts in his head and we'll let him simmer on that and maybe we'll have that conversation later. I think being, by the way, uh, having a finance degree um, to people when they have financial problems is sort of like having a pickup truck in your 20s um, when it's time for a move, right? Everyone sort of comes, comes to find you. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but a couple final thoughts with respect to this observation. First, treat the money that you have as finite. Secondly, treat it as if it's a gift from God. And third, be intentional and proactive about what you do with it. Almost as if, just maybe, someday you're going to have to give an account to God of what you did with that stuff. Next observation is money is witness. Reveal it. I'm Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four-bedroom house and a great community. Like my car? It's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. <laughs> yes, poor, poor Stanley. I heard of flat Stanley back in a, a former life, but not poor Stanley. Um, you know, the reality is people are watching us, and there's generally a connection between the level of which they're watching us to sort of how close they are to us. So your neighbors, a little bit, right? Poor Stanley's neighbors, I think, are sort of watching him fairly closely. 
Uh, your coworkers, I think more. Your friends, even more than that. Your family, even more than that. And your kids, unfortunately, as I'm starting to learn, and if you have older kids than seven, please don't find me in the lobby and tell me I don't even be begin to understand this. But I have sort of gotten to learn that kids are watching you the most, okay? First Peter 3.15 tells us, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. It's not my job here today to tell you that 1 Peter 3.15 is incorrect, but what I will tell you this, at last check, we live in an information age, and we live in a social media age, and talk year after year after year is getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. You can say anything to anyone on multiple forums, and we as a, as a culture have gotten desensitized to the words. Yet at the same time, I think actions, and I mean legitimate, valid, credible, sincere actions, the value of those continues to go up, right? Talk is getting cheaper, sincere actions is getting more valuable. And with respect to what we do with our money and our stuff speaks volumes to the people around us about what we believe in and who we are. You know, I was driving over here this morning today and I heard an advertisement on the radio where it must be a, a, a private landowner owner or farmer in Fredericksburg is holding a, a beeping egg Easter contest um, in, around Easter time. And I had no idea what a beeping egg is, but it's if you're blind and you're a child, you, you, can't, you can't do an Easter, Easter egg hunt. Um, and he is holding this at his farm free of charge to anyone in the greater Fredericksburg area uh, who might have a, a blind child, free of charge. Um, I'd be willing to bet a lot of money that someone during that day will ask that landowner why he did this for the community. Right? That question didn't come out of just someone coming to him and saying, hey, tell me what it is about, you know, why you hold in a, 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 sort of why you believe. It did because he opened up, he sort of spoke with his real worldly possessions, with his real money in the community. Our actions, specifically what we do with our money, speak louder to this world we live in today than anything we can possibly say. And long before someone comes to you in a 1 Peter 3.15 sort of way and says, hey, John, why do you believe this way? They'll actually watch to see what I do with that money, and that will probably be the trigger to which they ask me that question. So with respect to this observation, I want to leave you with a thought, and it's called the, the checkbook principle. Any, anyone still use a real checkbook, not a... Okay, woohoo, power to the checkbook people. Yeah, right, I'm one of them. Um, there's a checkbook principle I, I, I tell, all my, or t tell all my counselees, which goes something like this. Give me a minute with your checkbook, and I'll pretty much tell you what's important to you, what you believe in, and, and sort of how you roll, right? Um, and that's not because I'm some sort of checkbook genius. It's because, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, the numbers don't lie. Um, now, when you go home later, and, and maybe your spouse is in the other room, and you kind of do one of those, well, I want to see if this guy is right, and kind of flip through the pages, and, okay, what does this say about me? The good news or the bad news is those around you already have full access to your checkbook because they're seeing it live out, right? 
and we live in this information age, and chances are they also know, by the way, how much money you make. So they're making calculations about who you are, what you believe in, and what's important to you. Okay. Our next observation is that money is drunkening, watch it. Any, any finance types here, any kind of bankers or CPAs, or yeah, the, the five-year-old over here, yeah, that's all, okay, yeah. Um, this is an observation he's gonna struggle with because uh, chances are, if you're wired sort of in the, in the area of money and finances like I am, I will tell you in full transparency, this is sort of my speed bump, right? This is the one that trips me up. The more and more we kind of get into money and get money, um, the more we seem to struggle with it. Money Magazine several years ago did a money issue. So this is Money Magazine doing a money issue. I realize that's a lot of money. It's a magazine that I think when you used to be at Borders, I don't even know if they have Borders anymore, but you kind of walk back past the magazine, magazine area and kind of look to your left, you'd see it. And if you're like 90% of people, kind of instant nausea comes to you. But if you're like me, you kind of go over to it, you pick it up, and you find yourself three hours later, right, um, loving it for whatever reason. One of the kind of summary observations from that article, and this magazine interviewed folks all the way from $10,000 all the way to multi-million dollar earners per year, and everybody in between. And one of the consistencies, regardless of what people made, is they needed about 15% more money to be, quote, financially secure. We all have a carrot out there, and your carrot's about 15% more money. And the carrot statements go something like this. When I get that raise, or when I make more money, honey, we will start giving to the church, or we will start doing this for our neighbors, or we will start supporting this, or we will get rid of those toys, or we will, we will do something. The dirty little secret is when you get to that carrot, you have a new carrot. The problem is the carrot just got bigger, okay? So when you get to the carrot, you're not gonna change your lifestyle, right? You're just gonna sort of push the carrot down the road and continue to lift, live the same lifestyle we have. So with respect to the drunkening nature of money, focus on things in this world that are free. Focus on relationships around you, most importantly on your relationship with Jesus Christ because at the end of the day, the things free the relationships, and most importantly, your relationship with Jesus Christ is what's going to be the most important thing in your life. My final observation is that money is opportunity, fuel it. Um, a couple months ago, uh, some of you may remember that um, Buddy said from this stage, we as believers have a tendency at times to over-spiritualize things. When he said that, I jumped up, threw the arms in like the full worship position. My wife looked at me, kind of jabbed me in the, in the spleen, you know, gave me that sit down, John, look. I quickly sat down. But um, I say amen to that, right? Um, the Bible tells us that we are in this world and not of this world, right? And let's get kind of, I think they're called prepositions. I, as you can imagine, I had pretty sort of good news and bad news when I took the SATs way back in the day, but I realize I'm probably dating myself by saying SATs. I don't even know if they have those anymore. <clears throat> I think they're prepositions. But we are in this world, keyword in. And so long as we are in this world, the unfortunate reality is that it takes money to fuel God's ministry on earth. Okay. When we put socks on the kids' feet at Livingston Elementary, 
it takes money to buy those socks. Buddy and a few other folks from this church are going to Nigeria in a few days. Unfortunately, it takes money to get them on that plane for that plane to fly over to Nigeria to help them better spread the good news gospel of the gospel, okay? It takes money to pay, this bills, to pay the bills of this church. It takes money to pay the mortgages of the pastors whom you love and adore. And sometimes in life, we need not to over-spiritualize the reality that so long as we are in this world, it's going to take money to fuel God's kingdom. Okay, God made it that way, right? I think he did it for a purpose. It's a sort of a character development exercise you and I are going on for a certain number of years. And so with respect to this observation, I will remind you from a practical perspective, please remember, money talks in this world and it fuels God's message. From a spiritual perspective, know where that money came from and know the kingdom that you are building in the next world. So where are we? We've said that money is neutral, acknowledge it. Money is finite, manage it. Money is witness, reveal it. Money is drunkening, watch it. Money is opportunity, fuel it. Well, that, I realize that's a lot to, to, to take in. Um, there's, there's just one sort of final question. It's not an observation. It's a question, it's, and it's the so what question. Um, before moving down to Fredericksburg, I, I spent the first 10 years of my life as a bachelor up in Northern Virginia. And one of the, one of the churches where I really started exploring Christianity was McLean Bible Church. And they have a pastor there called Lon Solomon. And Lon Solomon, at the very end, sort of at, and by the way, good news, if you're one of the folks that sort of are done with money before I even started, I've only got a couple more minutes. You're, we're almost there. Um, Lon Solomon ends every one of, or most of his messages by basically saying to the crowd, so what? Right? So what about the topic you just talked about? Now, in this topic, it's, to me, the question I believe is, so what is the connection? What is the significance? What is the relationship between things, money, material, possessions, whatever the right noun is, but let's just stick with money. What is the connection between money and things of the next world, of things spiritual? Feel free to put God, Jesus, right? What is the connection? Why does the Bible go there so many times? Why, do, why does the modern-day evangelical church go there so many times, right? What is that connection? So what? It's a question I've been sort of chewing on for the last 10 or so years uh, since I became a believer and probably a few years before that. And I will admit that my answer to that question has evolved and it generally evolves a little bit each, each year. Where I'm at today is that the answer to that question is all about currency, God's world, and our world. I realize we're now at sort of a huh moment. Let me explain. First, let's talk about a definition, currency. Currency is a big fancy term for a medium of exchange, right? So after the service, if I'm really parched and I go across the street to the 7-Eleven and I buy a big gulp, um, I will take money out of my pocket, right? And give it to the clerk or the cashier at 7-Eleven, right? I'll get the big gulp, he'll get a couple bucks cash. And um, that currency has sort of been the medium of exchange for the, in that case, the good being, being provided to me, right? From the, the consumer to the producer of that good. Um, currency is always relative to the society in which you're operating within. So at least in the first part of the 21st century, the currency of the United States is the U.S. dollar, okay? 
the couple dollar bills. The dollar bills are really just the object, but at the end of the day, these are, these are sort of objects of the US dollar, which is the currency, at least still in the early 21st century, maybe someday the Bitcoin will replace it all. I'm not quite sure how that's all gonna work. But the, but the US dollar is still the currency of this world. Okay, great, that's currency. Let's go to the second part of that answer, God's world. In God's world, the currency is love, okay? God deals in a currency of love. We're told in the Bible that in the beginning there was God. And we're also told uh, in the Bible that um, God is love. So once again, by that annoying transitive property thing, um, in the beginning there was love. And, and, and God is love. Um, God has done um, many things since he's been around. He's been around a long time, right? Um, that are acts of love, right? Creating the world was an act of love. Um, probably most specifically or significantly for you and I, when he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to us and ultimately to die for us, that was an act of love, right? Jesus was the $2 bill in the bad 7-Eleven analogy, right? Jesus was the object of that currency of love, okay? God gave his son an act of love, a currency of love, right? Jesus, the object to us, right? In fact, in 1 Corinthians, if you were to Google up that you were, quote, bought at a price, Hopefully that passage now makes a little more sense, right? That Jesus or God bought us at a price, right? Sounds kind of like that whole currency concept. There's only one catch. If you go back to the definition I gave you about currency, and that's in, in most currency exchanges, there's an equal value exchange being done. That is the $1.78 I give for the big gulp um, is deemed to be about $1.78 of soda, right? There's an equal exchange. Um, you and I, did nothing to deserve his son's death. Okay, let, let me repeat that again. We did nothing to deserve his son's death, right? He gave an, an entirely undeserved set of people a currency act of love manifested through the object of his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us completely undeserved people. Now let's go to our world. So I'm, I'm at the Macy's in Pleasant Grove. I'm just um, paying, for, just paying for people's groceries. Um, these kids are picking out the prospects and um, we'll see what happens. <laughs> Congratulations, you are our free grocery customer of the day. You're kidding. Not, not. Are you? No. No, I'm not. You're your groceries for free today. Really? Yeah, I am serious. No, I'm not. I'm not. I don't kid about these things. My manager would fire me. <laughs> you pay nothing, not a dime. Not 
not a penny. You and I, are only in this world for a certain amount of time. And part of our job, part of the reason I think God even created us is character development for the next world. Okay? Sorry, bear with me. And we are to emulate as much as we can, God. And God gave us a human, a God in the flesh, Jesus, as a role model to us so that we could relate to the best of our ability to this God, but to, to, to hone and refine the character of our life, right, in preparation for the next. And just as God gave the currency of his world, love, to a set of undeserved, wretched people like you and I, we live in a world today, so long as we are in this world, money is the currency of this world. And we are called, I believe, to do just the same. Just as God provided the currency of his world, love, to an undeserved set of wretched people like you and I, you and I are called to provide the currency of our world to a completely undeserved set of people around us. And we cannot do that without acknowledging it, managing it, revealing it, watching it, and fueling it. Thank you very much. Well, John, as I said in the first service, that's one of the clearest messages on uh, financing and uh, its place in our spiritual journey and its role in our spiritual journey and in the, li in the life of others. And um, I was uh, absolutely um, taken, uh, captured by his thoughts. And John, I appreciate that and appreciate your ministry to us. And, you know, I was thinking about that in the first service, and I was thinking even now, you know, when we think about the fact that God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son, that he sent him, and that was his currency. That, that was God's currency. His currency is love, and his love for us was he shed his blood on Calvary's cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And you know, I was thinking maybe even in the midst of a message on money and finances, Maybe you're sitting here today and you've never, you've never received God's love. You've never accepted his currency, his, his gift to us, his love to us because of his death on the cross. And I was just thinking, wow, maybe somebody here today would like to receive Christ's love, accept his currency. And so I'm going to give you that opportunity this morning. Can we all just bow our heads for a moment and, and close our eyes and if you're here this morning and you've never received God's love, you've never accepted his free gift on Calvary, his love for us, his love for you, for God so loved you that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever believes in, believes in him shall not 
perish, but have eternal life. No greater love than this, that a man, a friend, would lay down his life for us. And that friend is Jesus. And he paid the price for our, our salvation. And if you've never received Christ's love today and his salvation, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's our faith in Jesus Christ that saves you. This is just a prayer of an invitation. This is a prayer of, of just acknowledging to God your belief in him. And so if you, that's you today and you've never received Christ, I would encourage you right now to pray this prayer with me. Jesus, just pray that. You can pray it in your heart. You can pray it out loud. Just pray, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. Jesus, will you forgive me today of all of my sins? Now, would you invite Jesus to be your Savior? You just simply pray, Jesus, I invite you into my heart to be my Savior. Now, if you prayed that prayer this morning, the appropriate response to what God has done for you because it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and he will forgive us of all of our sins the Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead the Bible says we shall be saved so our response to that love that response to that love is just to thank him it's free he paid the price his love and so you just thank him. You just thank him right now. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. Now, if you prayed that prayer with all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed and no one looking around, I just want you, to, everyone else, just to close your eyes. Bow your heads. If you prayed that prayer, I just want you to look up at me a minute. Anybody like that would say, you know what, I prayed that prayer today. And I just want you to look up and look at me today. I want to tell you that Jesus heard your prayer. He says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Christ was raised from the dead, we shall be saved. What's it mean to be saved? That we will have, spend eternity with God. Now, I also want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer today, at the end of the service, I'd like for you to come up and see Bobby. Bobby's going to come up here. He's one of our pastors here. And he has, a, he has a little band that we want to give you. And he wants to talk to you about what that means today, what that prayer means in your life. And I just want to praise the Lord that even in the message on finances, the Holy Spirit still moves in our hearts. And he loves you. And he cares very much for you. Wow, what great love is that? What a price was paid for you and I. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for every person today who received Christ. Lord, I just pray right now as we close out our time together that you would wrap your loving spirit, loving arms of love and care by the power of your Holy Spirit around each one today. Lord, I just thank you for their salvation today. I thank you that you have paid the price for all of us to know you, to receive that love, that free gift. Thank you for John and his family, his children, Lord. I pray blessings upon him. Thank you for his obedience, Lord, to share the word. 
And God, I just pray that you will just continue to lead John on his spiritual journey in the days ahead. Father, I thank you for every person that's here today, those that are sitting in this room, those online, in the cafe, Lord, wherever today they're listening. I pray that your spirit would just wrap your loving arms, loving warm arms of love and care around each of us as we go our separate ways. Lord, may the peace of God just fill our hearts today. And Lord, we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand and worship together before we leave? The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing.